Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget the free TuneIn app. We're there, too. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dog on a Chicago landmark business since 1893. There is nothing like a Vienna hot dog or one of their Polish sausages, and their products are available coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and through Amazon. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, Chicago's top purveyor of fine meats, poultry, fish, fresh frozen prepared foods, wine, beer, and now serving fresh sandwiches. They've been a staple in the city since 1949. This week, our guest is the longtime radio voice of the Chicago Cubs, Pat Hughes. It affects only about, um, I think, 10,000 people in the world at any one time. It is a precancerous growth on your vocal cords and um, there's a likelihood of the disease returning at any time so i have to go see the doctor about every six months to make sure that i'm clean and and ready to keep going can you believe pat hughes is in his second quarter of a century calling cubs baseball he's blended in seamlessly whether the team is winning or losing and who he's partnered with whether it's hall of famer ron santo or the affable ron coomer Hughes has a passion for the game and holds a distinction only one Cubs broadcaster can boast. He described the final out of the team's first World Series title in 108 years. Blessed with a very dry sense of humor, Hughes has made listening to Cubs baseball an event in itself. But how much longer will he remain the voice of the Cubs? So, Pat Hughes, tell me a story I don't know. <laughs> George, first of all, it's great to be with you. As I was listening to your intro there, it occurred to me that 25 years ago, uh, I got the job as the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs. And that's what they called me, the voice of the Cubs. And now, 25 seasons later, they call me the voice of the Cubs. It sounds like I have not had a job promotion for about, <laughs> a, quarter, about a quarter of a century. But <laughs> all is good. I, uh, I came here with the intent of uh, never leaving, and I still have that feeling. I did not look at this job as a stepping stone to another position or another broadcast uh, job anywhere. Uh, when you get to be uh, the voice of the Chicago Cubs, uh, that's where you want to stay, and I've been lucky enough to stay here for 25 years. It will remain the highlight of your broadcast career, calling that final out of the World Series, but Pat, tell me a story I don't know about the buildup to that final nerve-wracking bottom of the 10th inning in Cleveland? Well, I think uh, in the back of my mind, I, I wanted to say the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, which is exactly what I did say 
right after the final out. But you have to backpedal, George. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. As a radio man, it's different than a guy on television. Uh, television, you have all the pictures telling you what's happening. So you can be perhaps, uh, I don't know, a bit uh, more flowery or, or uh, you know, make some kind of a grand call on television that you really got to be careful with on radio. And I say this because a baseball game can end in any number of ways. Uh, let's take two different scenarios where in game seven, the Cubs beat the Indians 11 to nothing. Or the other scenario, which is exactly what happened, it was a cliffhanger back and forth, nerve wracking, 10 innings of drama wall to wall, and then the final out occurs. So the feeling at the end of that game is entirely different than the feeling at the end of an 11 to nothing game. So if you tried to be real fancy and creative and thought of something real clever to say, it might be very appropriate for the cliffhanger, but not appropriate at all for the blowout game. So I decided I did not want to get too far ahead of myself. I didn't want to be the story. The story was the Chicago Cubs finally, after 108 seasons, winning the World Series. That's the story, and I, I wanted to be true to my radio audience on the final play, which I think I did. Uh, I was very proud to have said a slow bouncer toward Bryant or toward third base. So I got the slow bouncer in there. I think I said, Bryant will glove it and throw to Rizzo, which was an unusual way for me to call it. I don't think I've ever used those exact words before. I would have said, uh, usually, here's a ground ball to third, Bryant up with it, the toss across in time for out number two or whatever. But I said, he will glove it and throw to Rizzo. And, and then I waited until I saw umpire Joe West pump up the right arm. I saw Bryant slip as he made the throw. I saw Rizzo reach up for the throw, but he had his foot on the bag. And I knew that if he caught it, we'd be in business. I saw Joe West pump up the right fist. And then it was not quite as deep and right. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. And then I just kind of happened to catch a glimpse of Ben Zobrist in left field, who was the World Series MVP uh, for a great series. And he also drove in the go-ahead run in the top of the 10th inning. But I saw him running in from left field. And as he saw the final play, he just kind of jumped up and down and his legs and arms went everywhere. It was like a 10-year-old celebrating a Little League championship. And I said, the Cubs come pouring out of the dugout. And then I spotted Ben and I said, they are jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10 year olds. <laughs> and then I said something that I was not even aware of later on. I said, the Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over and the celebration begins. Actually, what I really should have said is the longest championship drought is over, but I think people got the point. You never know, George, how the words are going to tumble out of your mouth. You just hope they tumble out in the proper order. You hope you don't make some ghastly and embarrassing mistake. And again, I didn't want to be part of the story. I wanted the Cubs winning the World Series to be what the final call was all about. It sounds like you're still exalting in it to this day. 
it, it was a, such a great moment. And, um, you know, it's by far the biggest moment of my broadcasting career. And um, there are certain things you always would like to do better. But, George, you've been a, a radio man for your entire career, too. You know that on radio, it's very rarely is everything scripted out. On play-by-play, -play, nothing is scripted out. So you're accustomed to talking off the cuff, ex off the off the cuff, extemporaneously, and not knowing what you're going to say. And I personally feel like I'm better off not knowing what I'm going to say because I'm so used to just winging it and ad-libbing it. So. Um, Yes, you can always look back and say, I could have done this better, I could have done that better. But all in all, George, I can live with it. I'm, I'm okay with that call. I'm very proud to have been the first Cubs announcer, not the first announcer because they, there were guys on television that night too, Joe Buck on network TV and the, the Spanish broadcasters I'm sure had their uh, work going on. But I was the first Cubs broadcaster who ever got a chance to say, the Chicago Cubs win the World <laughs> Series because in 1908, there was no baseball on the radio, and therefore there was no radio call. You know, when I think of your time here, I think of some amazing moments, crazy moments, historic moments, and some incredibly disappointing moments. Take 1997, when the Cubs started 0-14, but a year later, there was Kerry Wood's 20-strikeout performance, the home run derby with Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, the playoff run, and the crushing demise during the 2003 playoffs. But tell me a story I don't know if there's one moment that always stands out. Yes, there is. It would be game six of that National League Championship Series of 2016, the Kyle Hendricks masterpiece against the Dodgers, the win that put the Cubs into the World Series, I think the Cub fans certainly instantly recall that game, but it, it was dwarfed by the enormity of the World Series championship about 10 days later. You, you have to you know, backpedal and realize that the Cubs had not even won a National League pennant in 71 years. So that was a gigantic win. And uh, Hendricks was at the top of his game. I think he gave up only one or two hits in about seven and a third innings. The Cubs roughed up. Clayton Kershaw with some great offensive work early in the game with Dexter Fowler and Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo homered, so did Wilson Contreras. But uh, the Cubs won the game 5-0, but it didn't even seem that close. It seemed like it was about 25 to nothing because of the way Hendricks dominated the Dodgers. And then that final play, Aroldis Chapman was pitching and... And he will hit a ground ball towards short. Russell goes to Baez one, over to first. And then I just was quiet for about 25 seconds. I just let the crowd roar, and boy, did they roar at that moment. One of the loudest noises you've ever heard coming from the stands at Wrigley Field in my 25 years, and maybe in the history of that great ballpark. But then finally, after about 23, 25 seconds, I came back on. And if you listen to the tape or the recording, you can tell that I'm a little bit choked up because as I said, the National League champion Chicago Cubs will play the Cleveland Indians in the World Series. I was so emotional at that moment to say the National League champion Chicago Cubs. I really had to concentrate on not breaking up and, 
and uh, really kind of losing it emotionally. And I tell people that if there's ever going to be a greater moment than game seven of the World Series when the Cubs beat the Indians, it will be when it will be that day when the Cubs win the World Series at Wrigley Field in front of the best fans in the universe. You know, it's interesting when you said it was the loudest you'd heard Wrigley Field. Now, they didn't let us on the field for, I think, 15 minutes as the Cubs then paraded on the field. I had never been on the field when there was a full house of fans making noise. And I can tell you, having been in many press boxes, including the old Chicago Stadium and even the United Center where the crowd goes nuts, it is the loudest I have ever heard a crowd in my life on the field. I stopped in my tracks and I looked around and I said, whoa, this is louder than I can believe. So as you say that, for me, that game was unique in that for the first time I'm on the field to hear the crowd and it was deafening. So special, George. Just uh, thinking back, I, I stayed in the booth. Uh, we had a nice post-game show. Len Casper, the, the excellent Cubs television play-by-play -play man, was on the field working on our radio crew. And so I was going back and forth with Ron Coomer at my side. And Ronnie was emotional because he grew up as a Cub fan since the time he was you know, six or seven years old. He's been loving the Chicago Cubs, so it was a special moment for him. He got to play for the Cubs, and now he got to be a broadcaster when they won the pennant and then eventually the World Series. But Len Casper did some tremendous interviews on our postgame show. Uh, the first guy he got, I think, was Joe Madden. And Joe was emotional. You could tell uh, here Joe had been a lifer in baseball for 35 to 40 years, and finally he got to manage a World Series championship team, and it was the Chicago Cubs. So it was a special moment there. Later on, I remember vividly that Len got both Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo together, and, and Len did something very clever. He got each man, Bryant and Rizzo, to talk about the other, and it was just great radio, and you could tell they were just young men, but they were so happy, uh, and it was the ultimate to win the pennant at that point, and then the, the next ultimate was winning the World Series, as we said, about 10 days later. But just that whole thing, that whole scene about being at Wrigley Field uh, with the fans, uh, beating the Dodgers, winning the National League Championship Series, going to the World Series, it still gives me a great thrill just to think about it and to talk about it. Over 25 years of Cubs broadcast. There was a dozen years of calling the Brewers before that, 17 years of calling Marquette basketball, and a couple in Evanston where you called Northwestern games. And, of course, I'm thinking Dave Ennett's been there since the invention of radio. But tell me a story I don't know about one Wildcats football game that included a rather harrowing and not-so-happy trip to Happy Valley. <laughs> we were flying in. Uh, it was going to be Northwestern against Penn State. We were going to play on a Saturday, I believe. So Friday night, uh, we fly in. And it's the winter, obviously. It's basketball season. And it was uh, blowing snow, windy like you couldn't believe. The, the uh, temperature was probably about 25 degrees. Horrendous conditions. And we had a pilot. It was a small charter plane but not, not one of the big uh, jet airliners that, that had, you know, multiple stewardesses and, and uh, co-pilots. We had, we had a pilot and a co-pilot, I believe, 
and maybe one stewardess. And uh, it, it was one of those planes that seated about 30 people. Uh, so it was a, a small plane. And I remember we tried to land in Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, and it was just too windy. And you could feel the plane shaking and kind of uh, swaying back and forth, which is not a good feeling ever when you're gonna fly and land in a snowstorm. Um, so the pilot tried again, and the same thing happened. He had to abort and go back up in the air and try it again. This cycle repeated itself like five or six times and each one that is unsuccessful, you become increasingly uncomfortable. <laughs> and finally, on I think the sixth or the seventh try, uh, the wind had calmed down enough and the pilot understood the conditions well enough to try to make a landing. And he did, and he did a very nice job and it was smooth and there were no issues. But I remember the players, the young athletes, uh, spontaneously erupted in a cheer. They were giving the pilot a standing ovation and, and laughing and high-fiving each other. And, and it, was, uh, it was one of the worst flights I'd ever been on. But I give uh, great credit to the, to the pilot for, uh, for pulling, putting us down safely and allowing, allowing us to keep on going. I can tell you I'm glad that I wasn't on that flight. You know, through your illustrious career. Illustrious works for you, right, Pat? Well, I, I think that's a little bit um, overdoing it, but if you want to say it, I'm not offended by it. Um, I'm just a worker, George. I, I've been so lucky and I've had so much fun um, that I don't really look at my career yet as a, as a complete entity. It's still kind of a, a work in progress and I'm going to keep on going for a while. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Vienna Beef, Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt, and oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the new spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, Sox and Cubs, stadiums, museums, and the zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and Amazon. And remember, Vienna's not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the free TuneIn app or wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Pat Hughes on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You have worked with a cadre of rather interesting analysts, to say the least, and another Hall of Fame broadcaster. So let's go through some of this list. Tell me a story I don't know about the mysterious, in many ways, Bob Euchre. 
Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and gone for Yelich! Amazingly talented man, very complicated man, uh, hard to get to know. I, I got to know him pretty well. I used to joke and say, I probably know Euchre about as well as uh, anyone except his wife. And I don't know him that well at all. So he, he's just, he's a great performer, loves baseball. He's, uh, he's, he's such a huge icon in Milwaukee, one of the biggest sports uh, figures in the history of the state. I think possibly Vince Lombardi or Brett Favre might be bigger names. In the, I'm talking about the history of sports in Wisconsin going back to day one. Uh, but Bob Euchre is right up there. Robin Yount, uh, you know, Henry Aaron, Eddie Matthews, Warren Spahn. They're all big. Bud Selig is certainly a big name in Wisconsin. But Euchre's right up there with any of them. Now, tell me a story about Al McGuire, who famously won the 1977 NCAA title with Marquette. He retired on top, became part of a great broadcast team, arguably the best of all time with Dick Enberg and Billy Packer. You worked with this rather eccentric personality. Tell me a story. Well, when whoever gets the ball, Notre Dame will double team immediately. Here we go, 56, 55. Al is one of my favorite people. Uh, he and I worked the local <clears throat> Marquette television broadcast for about the last six years of his life. And we had nothing but fun. He was one of those rare people, George, where you encounter and you never have a single bad moment with them. I never had a bad moment with him. So it's all good with me and Al McGuire. And boy, did we laugh. We had so many great times together. Uh, I remember we were doing a game, Marquette at Charlotte, uh, UNC Charlotte, and it was a Tuesday night game, as I recall. So Monday night, I fly in to Charlotte, and then I call home to see how my wife and my kids are doing. And my wife, Trish, says, Pat, I just got a strange call from Al McGuire. He said, uh, honey, where's Pat? And she said, well, Al, I, I think he's in Charlotte, North Carolina, working with you. Al McGuire says, Charlotte, that's where I'm supposed to be. Thanks, honey. <laughs> so he, this is, George, this is the day of the game. This is oh, like 10 my, where was in he? the morning. It's a seven o'clock game. Al doesn't know where the game is. So he, <laughs> he goes to the airport. He gets on a plane. He flies to Charlotte. He gets there and we are at the uh, arena. It's about an hour and a half before the game when finally Al McGuire gets there. He has not shaved in about a week. He's wearing his sweatsuit. He's got a garment bag draped over his shoulder. And he's, I mean, he, he's as relaxed as you can possibly be. He says, hey, fellas, how are you? We ready for the game? And we said, well, we are, Al. How about you? And, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. No problem. So he grabs an assistant coach. This is in the arena. Again, people are already, the fans are starting to come in already. It's like uh, 90 minutes before tip-off, I would say. He grabs an assistant coach for Charlotte, says, buddy, come here with me. So they sit on the bench for about 10 minutes, and Al is uh, asking this assistant coach all that he needs to know about Charlotte. Who's the best shooter? What kind of defense do you play? 
Do you have a shot blocker? Who's the best rebounder? Do you guys have any kind of a full court press? Who's the, who's the best, uh, you know, uh, go-to guy on the team? So anyway, Al spends five minutes with this kid, says, okay, got it. He goes in, he shaves, he gets cleaned up, he puts on a suit, and by this time, we're getting real close to game time. He comes out, and I mean literally, like five minutes before he and I are going to do the open on camera, he waltzes in, he's smiling, he's ready to go, hey, how you doing, what's going on? And so uh, we go on the air, and, you know, I, I do the open. Hi, everybody, it's Pat Hughes along with Hall of Famer Al McGuire. Al, what does Marquette have to do to win this ballgame tonight? And he goes off, George, like he had been doing his homework for the last three weeks. Oh, Pat, wait till you see this shooter. This guy's a shot blocker for Charlotte. They got to be careful with this guy. And I'm just smiling, looking at him, thinking, Al, you didn't even know where you were supposed to be this morning when you woke up. And now you're coming off like Harry homework. But it, it was really... It was really uh, just so much fun. And, and of course, we had a, a good broadcast, and I'd like to think we always did. But that game, I remember Marquette fell behind about 31 to 6, about halfway through the first half. 31 to 6. It's a blowout. And as we go to commercial, Al says, Pat, time for you and me to go to plan B. <laughs> In other words, you can't just keep giving you know, straight play-by-play. -play. So we, we had fun and talked about a lot of other things. But um, that, that was a great story right there. Ron Sando is so much a beloved figure on the North Side, whom you teamed up with on so many memorable broadcasts, including side-splitting episodes. So before you tell me a story I don't know, you have to tell me a story I do, because it might be one of the funniest ever told it involves hair and fire. Well, it could have happened to anybody, George. Uh, <laughs> Ron Sato and I are getting ready for a ball game. It's early April. It's 2003. Uh, Cubs and Mets at Old Shea Stadium. Uh, in the visiting radio booth, they had this old-fashioned electric heater, the kind that glowed a bright orange when you turned it on, and it was bright orange that night. Uh, we stand up for the national anthem, and Ron made the mistake of getting a little too close to this electric heater. And all of a sudden I, I smell something burning and I hear something sizzling like bacon on a stove. Zzz. I turned to look at Ron Santo. His hairpiece had caught on fire. There is smoke billowing out the top of his head, a little blue flame shooting up toward the top of the booth. So I did what any good partner would have done. I grabbed a glass of water and splashed it right on the head of Ron Santo. And, um, you know, I mean, that's not the typical way that a big league broadcast should begin with one guy pouring water on the other guy's head. But um, Ronnie was uh, a handsome man and, and very vain about his appearance, to be honest with you. And his first thought was, how does it look? How does it, <laughs> how does it look? I, I almost laughed in his face because it looked like a golfer, Phil Mickelson, had taken a pitching wedge and whacked one right off the top of his head. There was a divot in the top of Ron Santo's head. He washes hairpiece in the dishwasher, and he said it works great. And this, he steam, the steam dry really does wonders for volume. For volume? For volume. What do you think, the hair grows? 
I mean, come on. And then he says, but now the kids won't use the drinking cups anymore. <laughs> Any suggestions? I say, my suggestion to you, William, is, is wash it by hand. Two outs. Belliard takes strike three called, and the batter is Ramon Vasquez. So the kids are afraid to use the cup <laughs> after the hairpiece has been next to it. I would say so. But uh, we got a lot of mileage out of that story. And um, uh, years later, Ronnie always thought it was funny that the name of the Mets' starting pitcher that night was Al Leiter. Of course. <laughs> of course. There are many other great stories involving Ronnie. So tell me two more. One that involves spam cell research and another that includes yogurt? Well, let's do the yogurt one first. It was the, the press box in Phoenix before a Cubs-Diamondbacks game. And it's maybe 20 minutes before game time. And we had finished our dinner. And Ron loved frozen yogurt. And they had a frozen yogurt machine in the press dining room. But it had a sign, a big sign on it. It said, please do not turn on until game time. Well, Ron looked at it and he figured, well, I can't wait till game time. I have to broadcast the game. And besides, I'm Ron Santo. Click. He turns it on. And he starts filling up this cup with frozen yogurt. And he has kind of that smug look on his face, like he's putting one over on everyone. Like, <laughs> I've got my yogurt. And he was happy right up until the moment that he could not turn the machine off. <laughs> he starts to panic as yogurt starts spilling out onto the counter. He starts shaking the yogurt machine. He starts cursing. I mean, good cursing, the, the good kind. <laughs> and now there's yogurt spilling on the floor. There's a gigantic mess of yogurt. So Ron Santo does what any mature seventh grader would have done. He runs away. He runs away and figures that's somebody else's job. See you later. Happy cleaning. But, and just to look at him, though, he, he did look like a, a big kid. He had his sneakers on. This is before he lost his legs. And he literally ran out of there. Uh, it, it, was, it was hysterically funny to see it. What about the uh, spam cell research? Well, now, yes, it's, it's actually, we all know it's called stem cell research. But uh, Ron Santo thought it was spam cell. He gets a letter. <laughs> We're in a rain delay in Cincinnati. Cubs and Reds are going to play, and Ron's got a big stack of fan mail, and he opens a letter, and he starts reading it, and he says, oh, this is a speech offer. I better call this lady. So he calls this lady, and her, her name is Mary, and Andy Mazur and Matt Boltz and myself are in the booth, and we listen to Ron as he picks up the telephone, and he calls Mary, and he says, Mary, it's Ron Santo, and I see you would like me to make a speech and the speaking fee looks agreeable to me and I'd be glad to talk about spam cell research. <laughs> so I, I hear Ron say this and I look back at Andy and Matt and I said, he thinks it's called spam cell research and he's gonna make a speech on it. Now there's a speech I wanna hear. <laughs> and they start laughing hysterically. I start laughing. Santo realizes we're laughing and he knew we were probably laughing at him because it was a fairly common occurrence. So he stops leaving the voicemail with Mary 
and he starts cursing us. Oh, blank, you guys, blankety blank, this and that. And, and he's kind of smiling, but he's kind of angry at the same time. And then as he curses us, we start laughing even, even harder, of course. And then he realizes he's still leaving the voicemail with Mary. And he says, oh, oh, Mary, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say those words to you. But again, thank you for thinking of me. And I'll be happy to speak about spam cell. Bye. <laughs> did he ever do it? I think he did. I don't know how the speech went. But I hope somebody told him that it was actually called stem cell. Sano plays an integral role in one of the most famous if not discouraging calls in Cubs broadcast history. It was in Milwaukee in what appeared to be a sure Cubs victory. Tell me a story I don't know about that fabled finish. Seven to five Cubs, bottom of the ninth. Two down, the Brewers have the bases loaded and a 2-2 count on the hitter. Here's the pitch, swung on, fly ball, left field. Brant Brown going back. It was a, a terrible loss. It was the end of the 98 season. There were, I think, four games to play, including that one. Um, and the Cubs were battling both the uh, Mets and the Giants for the wild card spots. Single wild card in those days before the days of two wild card. So anyway, it's a brutal loss. One of the worst losses imaginable. The Cubs had led seven to nothing. Sammy Sosa had hit two home runs. It was going to be a great win until it wasn't. And Brown drops the ball, three-run score. So the uh, Brewers win the game 8-7. I look over at Ron Santo after the play. His head is literally down on the table. I thought we had lost him right there. I kind of jabbed him. I said, Ronnie, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm okay. How could he drop that ball? I mean, he's, he's, he's almost in tears. So he goes down to the clubhouse to get himself a beverage. Uh, he needed a beverage at that point, and I'm finishing the post-game show. So about 15 minutes later, I go down to the Cubs clubhouse, and I, I walk in, and it is so quiet you could hear a pin drop. The guys are just despondent. Nobody is saying a word. I go into Jim Ruggleman's office, and there's Ron Santo. Ronnie is nursing his second or third beverage by this time. After all, it's been a full 15 minutes. Yeah. And He's still talking about the play. He says, how could he drop the ball in that situation? And Jim Riggleman, Jim Riggleman, the manager, walks over to Ron, puts his arm around his shoulder and says, Ron, hang in there. We're going down to Houston. We can beat the Astros. We can still win this wild card thing. And I almost laughed out loud when I saw this because I'm thinking I'm seeing something that maybe has never happened before in the history of American sports. I'm looking at a manager trying to cheer up a broadcaster. Now, you don't think, you don't think Mike Ditka ever tried to cheer up Wayne Larravee, do you? No, I don't think so. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, the Cubs did eventually win the uh, wild card, and I guess it had kind of a happy ending. But it was an amazingly terrible loss. Uh, and, of course, the, the moment has been immortalized with Ron bellowing out, oh, no, in the middle of the play-by-play. -play. 
Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by the Polina Market. And if you haven't been there, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meat since 1949, and it's only getting bigger and better. From the popular Wagyu steaks to their porterhouse and tomahawk selections, Polina leads the way, and you might just spend hours there perusing the frozen food section. Everything made fresh, including chicken pot pies, pulled pork, and a variety of meatloaves. You like brats? I love them, including their pork variety, which is so juicy and tasty on the grill. And now the Polina Market has seafood and sandwiches from the deli and wine and beer to match anything you buy. Plus, they expanded again, making the in-store experience even better, but you can still order online to pick up. Take my word for it, the Polina Market is as good as it gets and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. Mention you found them through this podcast. Okay, can you tell me a story I don't know? When you decided to say on a long home run, take out the tape measure, long gone. And the 1-1. Sammy drives one! Get out the tape measure! Long gone! I don't believe it! Sammy Sosa ties the game 8-8! to That one just came uh, to me one day um, because I'm always curious exactly how far the ball is going to be measured. Um, and, you know, get out the tape measure. That ball is long gone for Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant or whomever. And um, people have also asked me about, how about uh, that ball's got a chance, gone. They said, where did you get that? And I said, well, really all I'm doing, the only reason I'm extending the word chance is because on a fly ball, you know it's either going to be one of three things. It's going to be caught it's going to be off the wall or it's going to be a home run. So what I'm doing, George, is buying time by extending the word chance to see what happens to the ball. So that's, that's the only reason I did it. And it just kind of felt good. And I kept doing it. And then for the, you know, get out the tape measure, that's when a ball is obviously crushed. And there's no question it's going to be a home run. It's just how far is this one going to go? So, um, I don't know, I just started using that many, many years ago, and it kind of felt good, and it kind of uh, lets the audience know that not only was it a home run, it was a long, long home run. Now, let me tell you, Pat, a story you don't know. So, this is when Riley was first up for the Hall of Fame's Veterans Committee vote, which many thought surely he would get in. So there's a horde of media whom he's invited to his place in Scottsdale. It's I was there, pre- George. Yeah, I was there. And, and the release of the vote, I don't know, I wanted to say it was 11 a.m. or 12 in, in uh, uh, Arizona time. I was told by someone at WSCR, where I was working at the time, the vote was already in and Sano didn't make it, and would I let him know? You could imagine what my answer was. I said, are you kidding me? Tell Sano he didn't make it? So I sat on it until he got the call. And of course, he was clearly crushed. To this day, Pat, I think that was the wisest and safest decision I've ever made. I think you made a great call there, George. (laughs) 
you're right. There's, uh, there's no way you'd, you'd want to be the messenger there. Your voice is your living, so I find it hard to believe you've had several surgeries on it just to maintain it. Tell me a story I don't know behind this and how you've managed to endure. Well, it's, it's a, a disease called dysplasia, and uh, it affects only about, um, I think, 10,000 people in the world at any one time. It is a precancerous growth on your vocal cords, and um, there's a likelihood of the disease returning at any time, so I have to go see the doctor about every six months to make sure that I'm clean and, and ready to keep going. But um, when you first get the news, and, and I could tell it was in 2014, uh, at the end of the year, I could just not quite hit the notes that I wanted to with my voice. And you, George, as a broadcaster, you know when your voice is working properly, and you know when it's working improperly. Mm -hmm. And the latter was the case, and I thought, I've got to go get this to, uh, looked at. And it was misdiagnosed three or four times, and finally... I went to a specialist, Dr. Aaron Friedman, who is a brilliant surgeon and a specialist, uh, I think it's called a laryngologist, um, and he, he knows everything about the larynx and uh, surgeries, and, and he performed four different surgical procedures on me, about one every six months for a two-year period, and I have not needed one, knock on wood, for about three years now. And uh, I hope that it, it's at least another three before I have it. But there's a likelihood I'll still need some more surgery, but it's, it's highly sensitive. And you can imagine when you are a broadcaster, and as you say, you make your living with that uh, vocal cord, uh, to think about a doctor going in and surgically using micro, uh, micro knives, basically, to you know, zap out the bad stuff while preserving the good stuff. And it's very sensitive. The doctor has to know ex exactly what he's doing. And fortunately, my doctor did. But it's, um, it's just something I have to live with. And uh, yeah, you think of all the breaks, you know, here I am a broadcaster and I have uh, a precancerous growth on my vocal cords. What a, but then you think, well, so what? Let's get it taken care of. It doesn't do you any good to sit around and and feel sorry for yourself, so I don't. You know, it's funny, I can empathize with you in a little way because in 2009, I suffered from a paralyzed vocal cord and basically lost my voice. And this was a time where Dave Ennett was going to hire me and waited over three months until I finally had a procedure done that got my voice back. So I believe me, I do understand what it's like not to have your voice uh, in a job in which you really do need it. Well, it, your, your voice is your job, so not yes. only do you need it, it's, it's absolutely essential. Through your career, you have come to realize what a great love and respect that you have for your fellow broadcasters, present and past, which prompted you to produce these wonderful commemorative audio tributes to the likes of Jack Brickhouse, Harry Carey, Jack Buck, etc. Tell me a story I don't know. What motivated you to do this? Being in our business, George, and I'm sure you've received numerous books and CDs and DVDs, and in the old days we would get cassette tapes. These are productions where the producers are simply looking for free publicity, so they give them to people in the media and, you know, books, and they're great to read sometimes, 
and then I would I would receive these uh, audio tributes, and um, there was one on uh, I don't know I think on Jack Brickhouse, and there was one on Harry Carey, and there might have been a one on Vince Lloyd that I received. I can't remember uh, exactly the specific one that uh, made me decide to try to do one myself, but I thought these are all good but they have never been produced by a guy who actually was a broadcaster. And I thought, I'm going to give it a try. Um, I think I could do a pretty good job on these because, uh, A, I've broadcast myself. Uh, I've been a big league announcer for, at that time, I guess, about 25 years. And I thought, I, I think I could do this because I know what makes a good call. Um, and, and it would also be a good way to learn more about my profession and about the history of the great announcers like, um, you know, Bob Prince and Harry Callis and Harry Carey and Jack Buck and Red Barber. And, uh, and, and I've put together 17 of these. It's called Baseball Voices. It's available at baseballvoices.com. But it is a labor of love. And the most recent one I have out is called Bob Costas. Uh, all-star at every position. And uh, it's, I, I think it's the best one we've ever done. Certainly nothing because of what I did, George, but because of the, uh, the brilliance of Bob Costas. And you start thinking about him and his baseball announcing career. Uh, and he's done other sports, but the series is called Baseball Voices. So I, I really concentrated on his baseball work. But you think about his television play-by-play. -play, he's done all-star games. He's done World Series. He did Game of the Week. You think about his interviews with uh, people like uh, Mickey Mantle and Henry Aaron. And uh, his interview show called Later was a great, great show that I used to watch. Oh, it was but great, yes. Inter I'm sorry? It was great, yes. Yeah, he's a master interviewer. Think about his contributions to documentaries like the baseball series by Ken Burns. Bob was a star in that one. You think about his uh, narration. Um, I mean, he's done so many things. His studio work is, is tremendous. So I, I got the best clips that I could and put them all together. And uh, it's called Bob Costas, all-star at every position. And um, it, it's, it's really fun. He's a great storyteller. He's funny. Um, and, uh, and that's what they're all about. But they're about, you know, what is it that makes Bob Costas great? It's his intelligence, his articulation, his interviewing, his sense of humor, his quick wittedness. Uh, so you try to get all those things and put them together on, on one, one CD. I ask this final question to every one of my guests. If it wasn't for broadcasting, Pat, what would you have been? I don't know. I've thought about being um, an actor. I've thought about being a lawyer. I, I like to uh, I like to read. I like to memorize things. <clears throat> um, I, I'm pretty good, you know, in arguments and and debating and you know taking a side and and trying to you know express myself in that regard. So I, I thought about law school, but um, I, I don't know. I've, I've just loved sports, and I was a good athlete, not a great athlete, but I played on um, a high school basketball team. I played one year of college basketball. I played on the Colt League World Series baseball team when I was 16. That was the first time I was ever on an airplane. And I just, I, I wanted to be involved in sports. I wanted to try to make a living um, in, in the sports world somehow, coaching, broadcasting. 
I wanted to be a player, but when I was about 17 or 18, I realized that was not going to happen. So there, there really was uh, no, uh, no real strong second choice to sports. That was number one. And I gave it my best shot. I was lucky enough to get started at a young age. Uh, I used to uh, sequester myself in my apartment when I was in college, and I would study great announcers like Bill King and Vin Scully, and I would type out transcripts, and I would see how they put words together. I would see how Vin Scully called a three-run double. I would see how Bill King described a touchdown pass from Kenny Stabler to Dave Casper. And, um, you know, I, I used to break it down. And, uh, for example, before a pitch, you don't always want to say, here's the windup and the pitch. <clears throat> you say, here's the windup and the 2-2 delivery. And the left-hander ready and back he comes. Here's the stretch and the next offering. And here comes the 1-1 and the next pitch. I mean, there's like 50, 60, 70 different ways you can say it. And you want to make sure you vary those so that you're not saying the same thing all the time. Um, so that's what I did, and um, it's worked out for me. But uh, I, I never really got close to doing anything but sports, and I'm very lucky to say that. Thank you, Pat Hughes, for telling me a story I don't know. George, you're welcome, and I got more whenever you want them, so you call me back, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. My thanks to 670 The Score, WGN Radio, and Pat Hughes Baseball Voices CDs for those fabulous highlights. Thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing, T.T. Shinkin for her artistic touch, and Ken Schreiner for always being there. And, of course, to our presenting sponsors, the Polina Market. Find them at polinamarket.com and the Vienna Beef Company in business since 1893. You can find them at viennabeef.com. Join me next time for another edition of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.